us go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for the pattern of prayer that Jesus gave us and taught us to pray. And so as we reflect on your words now, we pray that your Holy Spirit will do his work in our hearts and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the last two weeks, we've been looking at the texts which have to do with the disciples' relationships. The first text we look at was chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, if you remember, on the parable of the Good Samaritan. And that text talked about being a neighbour to those, as we come across them, who are in need. And then the second text was Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42, and that was the story of Martha and Mary. And that text reminds us of the disciples' relationship with Jesus himself. That rhythm of discipleship with Jesus, spending time in private with him, devoted to him, listening to him, and then going out with him to serve and to do the work that he calls us to do. Today, we look at the third text, chapter 11, verses 1 to 13, which Liwa just read to us. And in this text, we look at the disciples' relationship with God. How do we relate to God? We can't see God, right? And it's not easy to relate to someone you can't see. The first thing we need to answer and think about this for a moment, who is God to you? How do you relate to God? So keep that in mind as we continue reflecting on these words. Huh? We relate to God in many ways. But there is one primary way to relate to him uh, for each one of us. Some of us see him mainly as creator. Some look to him as God Almighty, way up there, powerful but very distant. Others of us may see him simply as uh, someone who provides for our needs. At every juncture, uh, we find that we are comfortable because our needs have been provided for. Some see him as the answer to our prayers. Others see him as the giver of gifts. Oops, sorry, that's Santa Claus. Some consider him as our master, giving instructions which we must follow. And so we find we relate to God in many ways. Jesus came, and one of his purposes for coming as a human being was to show us who God is, what God is like, and more importantly, how God 
desires to relate to us. In other words, Jesus came to show us God's heart for us. The primary relationship, when we look at Jesus, the primary relationship that God's, God wants to have with each one of us is that of father to children. God desires to relate to us as a loving father. I do realize that for some of us, this word father is kind of a loaded one because of our experiences with our own earthly fathers. Dr. James Bryan Smith tells this story in his book, The Good and Beautiful God. He tells how at the end of a day of teaching on prayer, and he had closed the meeting with a prayer that began with, Dear Heavenly Father. And he was approached by this woman after that. And she had tears in her eyes. And she told him that she loved all that he had taught them about prayer. But when he started that prayer by calling God Father, he lost her. She said because she had a terrible father and she could not think of God as her father. Perhaps we can recognize the pain this woman went through, not being able to relate as God the Father. But that is not the solution, not to call God Father. The reason why this woman and perhaps others find it difficult to see God as Father is because we begin our understanding of Father or who a Father is, of fatherhood, what a Father is like. We begin from our own experiences of our earthly fathers and then we project that understanding to God and so we see God the same way we see our earthly fathers. The right place to begin, really, is with what Jesus shows us God is like. The right place to begin is to allow Jesus to define for us what Father means, Dr. Smith says, and he quotes from Karl Barth, a Swiss Reformed theologian. And in his book, uh, Dogmatics in Outline, this is what Karl Barth said. It is not that there is first of all human fatherhood and then a so-called divine fatherhood, but just the reverse. True and proper fatherhood resides in God. And from this fatherhood, what we know as fatherhood among men and women is derived. So our understanding of what it means to be a father or who a father is must come from God himself. And so this morning's focus is relating to God or the disciples' relationship with God in prayer, as father in prayer. This will determine 
being able to see God as Father will determine how we pray and the way in which we will approach God in prayer. And so I would like to invite us to hold on to the truth that God is the perfect Father who gives us the meaning, the true meaning of what being a father means as we explore how disciples pray. Jesus' teaching on prayer begins out of a request by his disciples to teach them how to pray. They had seen him pray and pray often. And although Luke doesn't record, you know, he takes 10, 11 chapters to get to telling us the words Jesus actually uses in prayer. But if we were to read through the book of Luke, we will see that prayer is so important to Luke that he records over and over again Jesus taking time off to go pray. And even when the crowds press on him, if you look at chapter 5, Jesus doesn't always give in to the crowds. He preaches to the crowds, he does his healing, he does his deliverance and all the ministries that he needs to do. But at definite intervals, he takes off. He goes off to the mountains to spend time alone with God, his Father. And so we'll find, as we read through Luke, Jesus praying, spending time with God, his Father, at very important junctures in his life. Paul, uh, Luke records all of this for us. And so we find him praying at his baptism in chapter 3. We find him praying all night, Luke tells us, before choosing the 12th, chapter 6. As he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? It was after a time of prayer. He was with his disciples, but he spent time in prayer. Jesus was in prayer when he was transfigured, chapter 9. And Jesus was praying in the garden before he went to the cross. And if you remember in John chapter 17, when he had spent time teaching his disciples, having his last words with his disciples, he spent a long time in prayer with God. And so in answer to his disciples' request to teach them how to pray, Jesus gives them this prayer that we now call the Lord's Prayer. It is as much a prayer for the disciples to pray as it is also a pattern for prayer which his disciples can follow. And so we find that the disciples do follow this pattern of prayer. For example, if you turn to Acts chapter 4, after the Sanhedrin had come down on the disciples and threatened them, the disciples went back to the upper room, gathered with all the other disciples, and they prayed in the same pattern as the Lord taught them. They acknowledged God's sovereignty and then prayed for bold witness to speak God's word. They acknowledged who God is and then brought their petitions and requests and needs before God. 
The prayer in Luke is shorter than the one in Matthew, and even the situation surrounding that prayer is a little bit different. The one in Matthew, Jesus uh, speaks that prayer as part of the Sermon on the Mount in a teaching situation as well. Uh, but this one in Luke comes out of the requests from his disciples. But both, even though Luke's is shorter, Luke is very succinct with his words, they cover the same subjects. Prayer was the way that Jesus relates to his Father, is the way Jesus relates to his Father because he is at God's right hand, bringing us in prayer to God, interceding for us. And so, like a friend said, prayer really is relationship. And so Jesus teaches his disciples to pray with addressing God as Father. In that word, is a picture of one who cares for those who are his children. And every person is that because God has created every person. But again, not every person knows God or receives God or wants to know God, huh? Father is a word that draws us into a loving, intimate relationship with God. In the light of that relationship then, we can bring to God all that is in our hearts. Those of us who had a good relationship or who have a good relationship with our fathers know what it is to be able to relate and bring our requests to our fathers or communicate with our fathers. And while this relationship with God as father is meant to be close or intimate, it doesn't mean there is any less respect or reverence for God because God is still God, God is creator, and God is holy. And so we approach God as Father, at the same time knowing that God is sovereign, God is holy, and we need to reverence Him. And therefore, we pray, holy is your name, hallowed be your name, honoured be your name. When we walk close with God, over time, our hearts will begin to beat together with God's heart and we will capture God's desire and have that mirrored in our own hearts. And so we pray that his kingdom, his sovereign and gracious rule will come upon us, our lives and in this world. Thy kingdom come, your kingdom uh, be made real, be made uh, obvious. And that has been the desire throughout all ages of those who have loved God. And then in that closeness with the one, this Father who loves us, from seeing the overarching picture of God's rule over all this earth, we can then come and bring, him, bring to Him our smallest needs, our daily basic needs for food, 
nothing we need. Please note, it's not nothing we want, but nothing we need is too small for God to take care of because God delights in providing for his children. Relationships that thrive, that flourish, that grow are those that have uh, no hindrances or barriers or where there are that come up, they are dealt with by both parties. And so we want to make sure that our relationship with God is clear to keep short accounts with Him so that we draw closer to Him. And so we ask forgiveness from Him for the sins we have committed. And then because we have received forgiveness, we can forgive others who have sinned against us. If you remember and recall Luke chapter 7, if not, please go online and check the sermon again. It's online. You remember the woman who anointed Jesus' feet at the house of Simon the Pharisee. And you remember how Simon looked at that woman and said, if Jesus knew he was a sinner, she was a sinner, he wouldn't even allow her to touch his feet. And Jesus turned to Simon and said, Simon, I want to tell you something. Simon, very eager. And Jesus said, you see this woman? She loves much because she has been forgiven much. That woman knew God's forgiveness of her sins. She knew her sins. And she knew she had received forgiveness. And so she could love immensely because of that. Simon, believing that he had no sin in his self-righteousness, did not see the need to be forgiven. And so never having experienced forgiveness, he could not forgive or he was not able to love extravagantly. And then finally, Jesus teaches us to seek God's protection from all that would draw us away from God. Lead us not into temptation. Sometimes we go, huh? God leads us into temptation? We must not be mistaken. God does not. James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, and this James is Jesus' own brother, uh, says this, No one when tempted should say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. Temptation comes, James says, through one's own desire, when one is lured, one is enticed, one is pulled away, drawn away by our own desires. And so this prayer is for God to not allow us to be tempted beyond our limits so that we fall away from Him, we go away from Him. This prayer is a recognition that it is God alone who can keep us from falling into temptation and in giving way to that temptation, we fall into sin. And so in this pattern of prayer that Jesus gives, we first acknowledge who God is and we give Him reverence. And then we come to Him with our needs, 
physical, relational, and so on. This form of prayer, acknowledging God and then presenting our petitions and then uh, in our usual prayer, not quite in Luke, but in our usual prayer, we end with through Jesus Christ our Lord or in Jesus' name. This form of prayer is, has a name to it. It's called the collect. Um, I'm not sure why it's given that name. I have to look up. But this is what it's called. And if you look at page 6, of our hymnal, you will find it's called the opening prayer, but the old name for it was the collect for purity. And for many of us, this may be a familiar one, especially those who know the old liturgy. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hidden. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. The collect for purity. Given that we have this relationship with God and this pattern of prayer that Jesus has shown us, what should be our heart's attitude as we approach God? Jesus then continues with this prayer on approaching God. Last week, if you remember, when we looked at Martha and Mary, we saw how important hospitality in the Middle East is. It's paramount. If you don't show hospitality, even to strangers, you lose face. It's very shameful. So whatever the time of a guest's arrival, the guest has to be welcomed and fed. Like all Asians, the Jewish people, hospitality included in large part food. When we have visitors, we always say, let's go, chakwetel, let's go. Exactly the same, except that they didn't have chakwetel. For them, primarily, it was bread. And the thing about having bread, uh, can we have the next slide, please? And the thing about bread was that it would be baked, baked just enough for the day. Maybe a little more, just a little bit left over. They didn't have gardenia who made bread with preservative so can keep for several days. And they didn't have fridge. And so what they had was just enough, maybe a little bit more. And that is why Jesus says in his prayer, give us each day our daily bread. And so that would not be enough to feed the guests who had come. The host then goes over to the neighbor midnight, Jesus says, and his neighbor is asleep. They don't have internet to keep you up reading news or playing games or whatever. They didn't have electricity to stay up at night, and so they went to bed when it got dark. How many of us have had the experience, you've put your children to bed, a noise wakes them up, and they don't want to go to bed again, and you find it so hard to put them to bed. How many of you have had that? 
quite a number of us as long as we have children, right? So this neighbour was saying, hey, my children are in bed, no? If I, implying that if he woke them up, it's going to be tough to get them to sleep again. I don't know how you would feel, but generally, when I need to call someone late at night, I, I refrain, unless it's really, really urgent, because very paise. Unless I know that particular friend, and I have some friends who stay up late at night, night owls. I called a friend last night and said, sorry for disturbing you. He said, no, no, this is early, and this was like 10-something. But this host... He had to be hospitable. And so with boldness, he goes up to his neighbour and he knocks on the door. And Jesus tells us it's not because he's a neighbour, that the host was a neighbour, that he went... Uh, not yet, Roshni. The, yeah, thanks. Jesus tells us because of his boldness, the neighbour gets up to get the bread for him. Not because he wasn't being a neighbour. Because he was probably half asleep and so on. Some Bibles translate that word that in NIV reads boldness as persistence. But the original Greek word has the nuances of boldness and shamelessness. Because the host approached the neighbour with boldness and was not ashamed to do so. He was given the bread. So Jesus tells us we are to approach God with boldness in prayer. If a neighbour, because even so, even though he was so reluctant, but because of that boldness can give the host bread, what he asked for. What more God who loves us? Father. The fact that God is our Father who loves us and is delighted when we come to him in prayer. It is that that allows us to approach with confidence that he will hear us. It's not so much because of our words and how we word them. Some people pray very nice prayers. And sometimes when I hear these prayers, wow, such a delight. But it's not because of the words that God hears those prayers. It's because He loves us. And so the confidence we have when we approach Him is because of that love. The writer of Hebrews, uh, the letter to the Hebrews tells us this much. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And again, later he writes in chapter 10, Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, 
let us approach with a true, true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And so baptism, going through the water, opens up this for us, that confidence that gives us this confidence because we now belong to the body of Christ, loved by God. And if we have experienced God's fatherly love for us in such concrete ways in our hearts, then we know we can have that confidence to come to Him because He will listen to us. And when we come, we don't come to Him with a list of things we want Him to do. Yes, we have needs, we have prayers, we have petitions to give Him but we want to pray honest prayers from the depths of our heart. Bringing a list to God is not a relationship. If our prayer is to be relationship, there must be this conversation that goes on. And Jesus, while he gives us this pattern, in his own times of prayer, he shows us how we speak, God listens. Then, God speaks, and we listen. And so Jesus tells his disciples to ask boldly. He tells us to ask, to seek, and to knock, and to do it with confidence. That's what that host did with the neighbor. He sought out his neighbor, he knocked on the door, and he asked for bread. He didn't demand as such, uh, he asked. And so it is natural for parents to want to give good things to children. Jesus shows us that God is good. Surely he will give us the Holy Spirit when we ask. And Jesus makes this contrast between earthly fathers and God, or maybe a comparison when children ask for food, a very basic need, an egg, a fish, no father would give the child something that would harm him or her, a snake, a scorpion. If human beings who are sinful know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more God says, Jesus says, God the Father who is good and who loves his children infinitely, will give them the Holy Spirit. Will give them what will equip them spiritually, a spiritual enablement to walk in God's ways, to negotiate life. God delights in providing for his children's needs. And so asking in prayer, coming to God in prayer, Conversing with God in prayer is the way we relate and share with God and so grow in our walk with God. And finally, this prayer. In verse 2, he said to them, when you pray. In English, you, one person, you, plural, is also you. But in Greek, there is a difference. And so in the Greek, it is plural. When you all pray, 
And so this prayer is for us to say as community together, not just personally, but together as a community. And that's why we pray. And note, it's pray. We don't recite prayers. We pray prayers. And so when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we do it together at various times, like we did just now. And we call this the family prayer as well. And so it is when we pray together, we grow in unity because we express the same aspirations, we express the same desires. And that's why prayer meetings are important. And yes, I'm plugging the prayer meeting now. I'm thankful that our community here prays. One group gathers, this is a church-wide one, on Tuesday afternoons. So if you can't drive at night, come on Tuesday, 3 p.m., Bethel. And then on Thursday night, again, church-wide, which means everyone in church, you're invited and you're welcome, 8 p.m., also Bethel. I'm thankful for the MSF who have their prayer meetings regularly once a month. I'm thankful that groups like the Methodist Women and others get together and pray. Our small groups engage in prayer for one another. And I want to encourage them, if you've not been praying for outside uh, the small group, please begin to do so. God reminds us when two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. And so my friends, as we look at these 13 verses that Jesus speaks to his disciples and to us, as well as the previous two texts, God is calling us into relationships with those around us as neighbours to them, with Jesus and with God himself as our Father. <clears throat> we grow in our relationship with God through prayer, personally as well as together as a community, as the people of God. And because of his goodness and love for us, you and I can approach this Heavenly Father with boldness, not demanding our way, <clears throat> but bringing to him all that we are and all that we need with reverence and with love. And so my prayer is that we continue to grow in grace and in spirit as we engage in prayer day by day. Let us pray. <clears throat>